Good morning. A few days ago, I took an inventory of the number of retreats, youth trips, mission trips, summer camps that I had some kind of leadership in. I stopped counting at 100. I thought to myself, how in the world have I had the time to do all that? And what was I thinking? One of the first camps that I worked in, Reverend John Peel led it, and, and he did something in that camp that I've used since then. It was a small camp. We had about 50 old, uh, junior high kids. And, and what he said to those kids was, we got one rule, and that is every day I want you to consider how you can help everybody else in this camp have a good time. And if you'll do that, instead of one person looking after your good time, 50 others will look after that. Each morning, I would meet with my cabin, and we would talk about how we were going to do that during the day. What were we going to do? How were we going to make it better for others? And then in the evening, before we went to bed, we talked about how we had, what, and how it had gone. It's absolutely amazing, as I've seen summer camps and retreats as we have used this as a, as a model, how I see kids change as they see their behavior in caring for each other bear fruits and turn around for them. This morning, we're going to talk about servant leadership. We're going to look at the model of Jesus and at the very core of servant leadership is looking after others. What can I do to make others' lives better? And, and what's interesting about, about the model of Jesus is that this is not something that just the church has looked at. Some of the great leadership institutes of our nation have looked at, at Jesus as a, as a leadership model. They've used it at work, in organizations, in almost every industry and institution in our nation. Servant leadership has become the model. Now, before I get started, I want to make sure that I'm clear about servant leadership. Servant leadership is not being a doormat. It's not putting us in a position of being abused or, or exposed. Servant leadership is considering the others, not letting others take advantage of us. And so as we look at servant leaders, we look not at how we can put ourselves at risk, but rather, what can we do for others to make their lives better? Let's pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our Redeemer, hide me behind the cross this day, O God, that these words may be your words. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. In order to understand the servant leadership of Jesus, we've got to take a look at the, at the character and purpose of Jesus. And so I'd like to take just a scriptural analysis of Jesus just for a moment and look at particularly three things about Jesus that are just a, a define, a define him. First is that Jesus had authority. From the moment that God announced from heaven these words, 
This is my beloved son. To the very end, as he was commissioning his disciples, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The authority of Jesus was never questioned. When he called the disciples, they didn't hesitate. When he cast out demons, they went running. When he told the paralytic to stand, he did so immediately. When he said to the the wind and the waves, be still, they were quiet. And when he said to Lazarus, arise, he came back from the dead. Jesus had authority. He was the Son of God. But never once did Jesus abuse his authority or use it for selfish reasons. His authority was clearly used to make not just the lives of those around him better, but the lives of all eternity. He had authority. He also had a clarity of purpose. You know, these days the buzzword seems to be know your purpose, know know where you're going. Boy, Jesus knew. We can point to several places in the gospel where that kind of clarity is spelled out, but I want to show you two. The first is in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. Jesus quotes from Isaiah here. He says, To bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, I'm sure when Jesus said these words, and he he said, These words shall be fulfilled this day, speaking of himself, they were thinking of the physical presence the poor of that day, the captives, the blind. But Jesus was not only talking about those for whom he spoke to and gave, gave relief, but also an eternal spiritual revival, a revival of abundance, spiritual abundance, a revival where we, we could see God clearly with spiritual eyes, That we would be free from the oppression of sin and the dark powers of this world. Yes, Jesus again and again tries to teach his disciples what his purpose was. And and, and they kept kept understanding it in, 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 in a physical sense. But this is what Jesus said with authority in Matthew, as Matthew quotes it in chapter 20, verse 28. He says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He knew his purpose. Uh, Finally, Jesus had uh, clarity. uh, He had defined values. He knew his values. Now, in Jesus' day, following God was a matter of following a set of rules and laws. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy and Numbers, Leviticus, there are over 660 laws that, that govern the ceremonies, the, uh, the ethics, uh, the community life, uh, food and dress. There's hardly anything that's left out of these laws. The problem was that they saw the laws as having almost equal authority, no matter how egregious nor simple 
like trying to compare stealing to eating bacon. Which is often arguments about, okay, what's the most important law? Jesus was clear about his values. All three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, report when Jesus was asked this question, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love neighbor as self. He knew his values, to love God and love neighbor. And it's out of that <laughs> that authority, that purpose, that, that clarity of values that Jesus served through sacrifice and through giving of himself. And, and he, he did so in, in, in almost everything that we see. He did so to show love and concern for all people. If, if someone needed a, a healing touch, he gave it. If, if they needed food, he multiplied it. The woman who was, who was crying out for help, she just touching the hem of his garment. And she was healed. The father who was worried about his daughter and, and, and she was at death's door and she begged Jesus. It was at a distance that Jesus made a difference. He was about making a difference in others' lives. That's servant leadership. Making a difference in others' lives. Uh, Jesus expected no honors. He wanted no position. He desired no compliments. No. In fact, one of the last things that John reports to us, the Gospel of John, before Jesus is arrested and crucified, was at the Last Supper. Only John reports this. He's finished the meal, and he knows that they've been arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. You see, they're still thinking in physical terms. They're still thinking about this physical kingdom. What will their position be? General, captain, major? Jesus takes out a basin of water. I can only imagine <clears throat> you heard Dave Relke read it for you. And I just, it, in my mind, as it, as it rolls over and over, I can just almost experience what the disciples must have felt, you know, as Jesus took out this basin and took a towel. This is the king of kings. This is the Messiah. This is the one who comes to defeat, not to wash feet. That is what the lowest of the low does. As he bows down on his knees before the first disciple, there had to be just total silence as they looked at one another wondering, what is Jesus doing? With tenderness and with love, I can just see Jesus looking up and smiling and looking into that first disciple's eyes and nodding and to the next and to the next and to the next. Finally, he gets to Peter. Peter refuses. He says, no, 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 Lord, you, you shall not wash my feet. And Jesus says, if you will not allow me to wash your feet to serve, then you cannot have any of me. 
And Peter says, then if you're going to wash my feet, then wash me from head to toe. Oh, my goodness. We all need that, to be washed in the precious blood of Jesus, to be purified in him. At the end of the passage, you heard Dave read it. Remember what he said, what Jesus said? He said, I have set for you an example. And so as I have done for you, so now do for each other. And when you take a look at the Greek there, as it's translated each other, it's more than just each other. It's all of those out there, too. When I was in seminary, they would, one of the first lessons in preaching was that a sermon should always have a so what. Always have a so what. As I was thinking about this sermon, I thought, so what do we do with this? Do we just try and then maybe, you know, what, what do we do with this servant leadership? Of, in what tangible ways can we, can we care and have concern for each other? In what places does, that, does it really matter? Should we wash each other's feet? You know, really yuck, you know. Uh, maybe. Should we become a doormat for others? No. It's not allowing ourselves to be the subject of abuse and harassment. No, servant leadership is so much more than that. So let me just ask it this way. What if? What if we looked at our lives as those fifth and sixth graders in that camp had the opportunity to think about how I can make everybody else's experience better. Not just me, but others. What if, what if parents gathered their families around at least once a week and maybe more and they, then they asked the question, what can we do for each other to make our lives better? And, and to be specific and, and to, to even start with the little things, even write them down and then come back to them to see how we have done. And if we have failed, which we will, to do so in love and grace and, and new beginnings of we're getting better. What if husbands and wives sat together on a regular basis and instead of saying what I want and what I need and airing grievances and complaints, we ask the more important question, what can I do for you? What are your hopes, your dreams, your expectations? How can we pray together, love together, forgive together, treat each other with grace? What if at work we continually ask the question, how can I make this a better place? Or, or, or here's, a, here's a tough one. How can I make my boss's job easier? Or my coworker? Or my direct reports? How can I make this, even though difficult, just take one step 
to make this place the best place to work? What if? What if as we, as we make decisions about church participation, in, in, instead of participating in those things that are going to be good for us, we ask a different question. And, and, and maybe this is a pastoral issue. Maybe I need to pose the question differently and how we, how we talk about our ministries instead of saying, would you like to be a part of this? Instead say, we need you. Those who are a part of this need you to be here for what you offer, for who you are, for what we can be together. What if we looked at our worship and our, every one of our small groups, Sunday school classes, you, and our opportunities to service, not as a place where I'm going to get filled, but where I can fill others? What if we saw even coming to worship as an opportunity for God to use us with a word that we didn't know even had impact? What if? What if every person that's listening to this, and especially the teachers and leaders and staff of our church, were to add this prayer? Lord, reveal to me, show me, teach me how I can improve and be a part of making somebody else's life better. What if? How can we care for one another and make this place a better place to live? Uh, The story's told, and I'm going to end with this because it makes a point that I think is important as we take this step toward truly serving others. Uh, A woman came before Jesus. He had an interview and, and she wanted, to know, wanted Jesus to know how committed she was. And so she, she had this little box. It was brown. It was kind of, you know, it was nice, but it was not too nice. And she opened it up and she took out all the symbols of her life. Her, a symbol of her marriage, of her kids, of her house, of her job, of her possessions. Just everything that she could think of. And she laid it at Jesus' feet and she says, Here, Lord, I offer this to you. Everything. And then she said, is that enough, Lord? Jesus looked at her sadly and he smiled and he said, my child, I wish it were, but it's not. And she said, but how can it be? This is everything. This is everything I have. And Jesus said, let me show you something. This is what I need. And this is what will make your life different. And he looked, reached behind, and he pulled out not a brown box, not a box of wood, but a golden treasure box. And he opened it up slowly. And as she looked inside, she saw a mirror and in the reflection, her face. And Jesus said, child, this is all I need. All of you. And so it is with us, friends. So it is with us.